Amen. Please uh, turn with me first in our Forms and Prayers book, the Smaller Forms and Prayers uh, book, page 206, which is Lord's Day 6. We'll be looking at question and answers 16 to 19, uh, shorter question and answers. I'll read the question. Together we can say each answer. Page 206, beginning with question answer 16. I'll read the question and then let's say the answer uh, together. Question 16, why must the mediator be a true and righteous man? Because God's justice requires that human nature, which has sinned, must pay for its sin. But a sinner could never pay for others. Why must he also be true God? So that by the power of his divinity he might bear in his humanity the weight of God's wrath and earn for us and restore to us righteousness and life. Then who is this mediator, true God and at the same time a true and righteous man? Our Lord Jesus Christ, who was given to us for our complete deliverance and righteousness. How do you come to know this? The Holy Gospel tells me God himself began to reveal the Gospel already in paradise. Later he proclaimed it by the holy patriarchs and prophets and foreshadowed it by the sacrifices and other ceremonies of the law, and finally he fulfilled it through his own beloved Son. It's a confession we hold in common. Let us turn now to the reading of God's Word. Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, and the second half of the Pentecost sermon as it's summarized for us by Luke in Acts chapter 2, the sermon of Peter, and then also the response. It's a little bit longer scripture reading, and uh, we're not going to look at all of these verses. So, So for example, our third point, we'll be looking at the last part of this, verses 37 uh, to 47, but we'll we'll really be looking at three verses: 37, 38, and 42. So we're uh, we're reading uh, all of this, but we're going to be picking out specific verses as we go. But for our for our reading, we'll read from 22 to the end of the chapter to 47. Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 22. It's page 1,158 in the blue ESV Bibles. Let us hear the word of God. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, 
as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, and I may not be that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would see one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ that he was not abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common." And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as anyone had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So far the reading of the Holy Word of God. Dear congregation, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Apostle Peter preaches to this large crowd at the time of Pentecost. It's ten days after the ascension of Jesus Christ into heaven. 
It's 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is 52 days after Jesus was put to death by crucifixion. Now, if we think back to the day of the death of Jesus Christ, on that day, the Apostle Peter was very ready to draw his physical sword from its sheath and to begin to attack those who had come by night to take Jesus from the Garden of Gethsemane. So Peter even cut off the ear of one of the servants of the high priest, the servant named Malchus. Jesus tells Peter to put away his sword. He heals the man's ear. And then Peter, who is so bold to draw his sword, he, he follows after Jesus as Jesus is tried under the darkness of night and bold, Jesus, bold Peter becomes feeble Peter. He is unable. He is unwilling to speak the name of Jesus and he denies his Savior three times. Well, that was less than two months ago. Peter has now learned his lesson. He has put away his physical sword and speaking with a boldness that will soon lead to his imprisonment in Jerusalem, he preaches with the sword of the Spirit. There is no more cutting of ears. There is now the cutting of hearts. But the Spirit is poured out on this day and many hearts are pierced and the church of the New Testament people of God is born for the Messiah has come and the Messiah is preached by Christ's apostles and by all those who follow in the church after them. This is the distinctive of Christ's own church beginning with the essential truths of who Christ himself is. And so our theme this morning is this. Be united with the church of all ages in the truth of Jesus Christ. We begin with this, that this Jesus is the Messiah, true man. Jesus, which is just the Greek spelling of the Hebrew name Joshua, uh, which in English just means Savior. This was, this was not an uncommon name among the Jews. And so the Apostle Peter, he makes it crystal clear which Jesus he is speaking about. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God, verse 22. And then uh, repeatedly in that verse and, and, and many times in the verses after this, the Apostle uses this language, this Jesus, this Jesus. This Jesus who, in verse 22, is a man attested to you by God. Now, Jesus performs many miracles by his own authority. And Jesus is approved by God in a way that no other man can or has been. Because only of Jesus does the Father speak with the voice from heaven and say, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And so Jesus is not merely a man, and he is not like any other man, but Jesus is a true man. One of the proofs that Jesus truly was a man is found in the fact that Jesus truly died. Another proof in this very first sermon that Jesus was truly a man is that he was truly a descendant of David. Now, notice that by focusing on 
these two things. Now, Peter's saying more things, but again, we're, we have a little bit of a narrow focus. We're picking and choosing a, f- a few verses as we go here. But by focusing on the fact that Jesus is a descendant of David and that Jesus truly died, the Apostle Peter is using a jumping-off point that all of his hearers would have recognized and understood and known. The Pharisees did much to to try to cover the truth of the empty tomb, but nobody denied that Jesus had been crucified 52 days earlier. Nobody denied that Jesus was dead at that time. The genealogy of Jesus was also never disputed. The Jews liked to keep detailed genealogical records. You know, maybe uh, maybe your family, uh, like mine, has has done some uh, digging into genealogy and gone back some generations. Um, in our family, that goes back uh, about 400 years. At one point, usually it doesn't go back that far. Some people can go back much further than that if they if they dig and, and find some records in, in Europe and such. Well. The Jews, they, they were meticulous in their genealogies. This was extremely important to them. And some of the Jews lost their, their genealogies in the Babylonian exile, but some maintained theirs. And those records were kept in the temple in Jerusalem. And when Jesus is heralded as a descendant of David, Nobody disputed that. The Pharisees didn't pretend that it wasn't true or anything. Everyone recognized that Jesus was a descendant of David. He was truly man, and not just a man from from any line. He was a man from the line of David. He was the son of Mary, who was a descendant of David. And so the Apostle Peter, he's, he's taking things that everyone recognizes we could point out more things, right? So verses uh, 29 and 30, right? He says, we all know that David's tomb is here and that David is buried in that tomb. What is, what is Peter doing? He is using points of common agreement as much as he can. And now he's jumping off from those things and he's saying, who is this Jesus? He's not just a descendant of David. He's the descendant of David. He's the Messiah. He's not just one who truly was a man, who died crucifixion on the cross. He is also the one who rose and conquered the grave. Peter is using the the points which would be agreed upon as his jumping off points to get to the truths that they must believe and that they must be confronted with because this Jesus is the Messiah whom we must believe in. Now what are what are powerful starting places for us to preach today? Well, we cannot appeal to the written genealogies that are held in the temple. Those were destroyed in 70 A.D. But nobody, not even the Pharisees, denied it at this time. We can't point to the tomb of David, which is now lost. 
But we can think about, for each person that we know who denies Christ, we can, we can think about which promises of Christ and which truths of Christ would be a starting off point to speak to those who deny Christ now in our own day. The Bible answers many objections in very direct ways. This Jesus is the Christ. He is truly man. He came, he died. He is not merely man. He is the risen Savior, the only one in whom anyone can hope. But even as, brothers and sisters, we should think about powerful jumping off places and and promises and truths that we can focus on when we speak to unbelievers in this day and in our day, what is needed is the Holy Spirit. In this day of Peter and in our day today, it is ultimately the Holy Spirit who needs to break down the walls of unbelief for anyone who denies Jesus, the Christ, who is true man, who is also, we come now to our second point, true God. Uh, This uh, Peter emphasizes more as his sermon goes on, for this is what was especially denied by his hearers. This is what they really needed to be confronted with in a direct way, that uh, this Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Lord. He is not only man, he is also God. Uh, And so uh, in verse uh, 33, uh, we read of the exaltation of Jesus Christ, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. In short, we have reference to each of the persons of the Godhead, the three persons of the triune God, And uh, Peter is plainly saying there is divine work going on in your presence here. We're not uh, not drunk, as uh, to go back to the beginning of Acts 2. No, there is is divine work being done here. That's why you all hear us in your own native tongues and, and all of the other things going on here at this first Pentecost. And that divine work is the work of Jesus, who is now exalted and sitting at the right hand of God the Father. Now, with verse 33, and together with what Peter has already said about Jesus of Nazareth being true man, now he's speaking about the triune God, mentioning each person and attributing divine work to Jesus Christ tied to God the Father, together with the promise of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. What's what's going on here? In short... We can summarize it this way. From the very first sermon of the New Testament church, which was born on this day, the truth of triune God, one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the truth of one Christ with Two natures, he is true man, he is also true God. From the very first sermon of the New Testament church, these truths were proclaimed. 
and declared. Now, brothers and sisters, the church is more than a body of people who hold to specific doctrinal truths. But the church is not less than this. The church, from the beginning, holds to the essential truths of who the triune God is and who Jesus Christ is, both God and man. These are not obscure doctrines. They are difficult for us to understand because we are not a triune being. We are not two natures in one person. But these truths are present from the very first sermon of the New Testament church. And so, when we look at our confessions and we look at a question like question and answer 18, it's not just some obscure doctrinal truth. It's not just some technicality of the Christian religion. It is a confession about the essential truths of the Christian faith proclaimed from the very first day of the New Testament church. That we need one mediator who is true God and at the same time a true and righteous man. And this is only our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, since the church is united in essential doctrinal truths, sometimes we need to say, this Jesus and not that Jesus. Not the Muslim Jesus, who is just a great prophet, lesser than the prophet Muhammad. Not the modern Jewish Jewish Jesus, who is not received as the Messiah, but rejected, just as many of the Jews in the days of Jesus denied him. Not the Jesus of Mormons or of Jehovah's Witnesses' imaginations. They both deny that Jesus is true God. They both teach that Jesus is in some way a created being. Not the Just a great teacher, Jesus, which many Americans believe in. Not the there is more than one way to heaven, Jesus, which perhaps even more Americans believe in. From the very beginning of the church, essential truths which are in many ways beyond our understanding. We are not God. We are not three persons in one essence. We are not one person with two natures. But from the very beginning of the church, these essential truths were proclaimed and preached. And from the very beginning of the church, getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, these are part of the essential truths that that all of the first believers held in common. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, verse 42. So we need, we need question answer 18. If not in this form, then in another form. There are, there are other churches which have faithfully hold of this truth without necessarily being uh, using it in the Heidelberg Catechism. 
So let's say it this way. We need the truth of question and answer 18. Whether we're one of the churches that uses this confession or another confession. And with that, let's move away from the not this Jesus and let's say uh, at least two things about yes, this Jesus. Yes, we believe in the Jesus of the confessions of the Roman Catholic Church. Now, the Reformation was necessary and there are many corruptions within the Roman Catholic Church, but their understanding of the person of Jesus Christ is correct. And so when a Roman Catholic would refuse the, the other teachings and, and corruption, corruptions such as, as Mariolatry, which, which surround that central, correct confession of Jesus Christ, then we can rejoice with Roman Catholics together in our one Savior, Jesus Christ. And for this reason, even from the, the beginning of the Reformation, when the corruption of the Roman Catholic Church was being exposed and there was great tension between the Reformation churches and the, and the Roman Catholics, even the, the very first Reformers said there are true believers in the Roman Catholic Church. And a key reason for that is because unlike Muslims, Jews, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, etc., the Roman Catholic Church has a correct confession of Jesus Christ himself. Yes, we are speaking about the Jesus of many Bible-believing churches. When Jesus is believed as the Savior who died for our sins, when Jesus is served as divine Lord, we have the central truths of the Christian faith in common. And from the beginning of the church, this one Lord and Savior, this Jesus who is both God and man, has been at the center of the preaching and at the believing of God's church, God's people. And so uh, that, that takes us now to our third point. The church believing in Jesus together. To believe in Jesus Christ, this is the central distinctive of the church. Now, there's something that's uh, intimately related to faith in Christ, and that is repentance from sin. Repentance and faith are intimately related. They have rightly been called uh, two sides of the same coin. You know, what makes a coin a coin? Is it the head side? Or is it the tail side? No, a, a coin is a coin when you have both sides together. And uh, intimately related to believing in Jesus Christ, both God and man, our Lord and our Savior, intimately related to that is repentance. Repentance and faith go together. And, and so we see that, for example, in, in the language of verse 38. Uh, repentance in the name of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of your sins, it's, it's tied together with this language of receiving this Christ who has just preached. Uh, and so now uh, we're going to look at, at verse 37 and that language of repentance there. As Peter preached, the Holy Spirit works conviction. And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Now, brothers and sisters, let's notice a few things about this. First of all, the Holy Spirit is being poured out in a special way on this day. Often, when we are brought to the confession of our sins, 
it comes slowly. The sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, pierces our objections one little bit at a time. Sometimes God works repentance by bringing that sword upon us and cutting deeply and quickly. On this day, many were cut deeply and quickly at the same time. The Holy Spirit is poured out in a special way. Verse 41, there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And notice this language of repentance. Repentance is, is painful. It's being cut to the heart. Think, think about that in contrast to, to something much different that, that's not nearly as deep, that's not soul penetrating. And uh, I, I have an example for this. And it's, uh, it's something in my own life for which I, I said, I'm sorry, but it, it, wasn't, it wasn't like the, the cut to the heart, the sorrow of repentance. Rather, it was this kind of I'm sorry. Uh, about a couple weeks ago, I accidentally called 911. That happens sometimes. I haven't done it in a long time, but I accidentally called 911. And I, ha- I still do not know how I did it. Long press something on my cell phone, like what's going on? I don't know why I called 911, but I called 911 and stayed on the line. And the operator answers, and I'm like, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to call 911. It's like, all right, we'll you know transfer you over to the county and we'll let them know. Thanks for staying on the line. I'm sorry, it was that okay? I haven't done that. I can't remember. Have I even done that before? I don't know. An hour later, I did the same thing. It's like I have no. I, I. What is going on? This is this is embarrassing. You know, I'm saying I'm sorry, and of course, you know, they transfer me over to the county again, and it's the same operator. It's like, is this the guy I just spoke to? I'm like, yeah, this is, you just talk to me. Um. So, all right, this is. All right. So, what 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 kind of an apology is that? It's 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 embarrassing. Yes, I'm the same person. It's um. It's something you, you use the word sorry for. Right? I'm sorry, it's me again. But it does not, it does not cut to the heart. Repentance is not something embarrassing. Even I mean, you know, looking back, funny, right? It's not funny at the time. Repentance is when we are cut to the heart. Not for some mistake that we don't even know how we did it. It's cut to the heart for our denial of the one God, man, Savior, Lord, Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit shows us our denial of the one who is God, who humbled himself and became man to die for our sins. And we are all born in sin. We are all sinners who continue to sin against the holiness of God every day. And true repentance is the Spirit working in us. 
and cutting us to the heart. And it is true sorrow. And it is true sorrow that comes with forgiveness of those sins. Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And so, seeing who Christ, God and man, our only Savior is, we come to Him in repentance and faith. Faith in Him, repentance of our sins against Him, against the Godhead, repentance and faith being intimately tied together. And then we we serve, we believe in Jesus together. That is the first distinctive of the church. And so we look at verse 42 as we come towards our conclusion. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. Breaking of bread is also a direct reference to the work of Jesus Christ. It was, it was one of the early names for the celebration of the Lord's Supper. The, the death of, of, of Christ is, is a death that ends in life because it's the death that conquers sin, that leads to the resurrection of Christ, that conquers death. Certainly uh, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Again, the, the church is more than just a body of believers who hold to specific doctrinal truths, but it is not less than that. And starting with the central truth of who God is and who Christ, the second person of the Godhead, is and what He has done. Prayers is something that many different groups practice in some way, but the prayers of God's people are the only true prayers, for God is the only one who can hear prayer. And God does hear the prayers of His people. Fellowship is, oh, it's, uh, it's, it's an important word. The church is more than just people holding to specific truths. But it is not a distinctive in the same way. It's not, it's not a distinctive in this sense that, that other groups have fellowship in one form or another. Not true fellowship, but other groups hold together. Um, other groups help each other. We might think of, of the fact that, at least in a digital form, you, you can find a group to, to affirm you and support you in really whatever you want to say or, or think or do. Uh, you don't even have to get up off of your couch. What I'm talking about is things like TikTok groups and, and Facebook groups. I mean, you want to be... Uh, so let's, let's just pick one thing. Um, Right, as more and more people deny the spiritual entirely uh, in that spiritual vacuum because we're spiritual beings, now more and more people are, are, are turning to witchcraft again. Well, what if, what, if, what if somebody wants to be affirmed in their belief in witchcraft? You can be affirmed. You don't even have to get off your couch. You can go. You can find a group. 
and uh, they'll they'll kick off anybody who disagrees through the uh, the admins of the page, and, and and you can be affirmed in whatever you want to be affirmed in. You you can find a group to uh, to to say how 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 brave you are or or, or whatever for for really anything. Or or um, or we might think of the um, the gay and lesbian community of the 1990s. Uh, that's not that long ago, uh, but in the 1990s, uh, often in, instead of uh, compassionate and gracious calls to repentance, which should have been the case, uh, there was uh, despising of of those who who had those sins. Uh, and uh, just 25 years ago, instead of uh, pride of sin, which is another wrong thing being being celebrated, uh, there there was this there was this just despising of it. And so uh, Rosaria Butterfield, who's a who's a Christian convert who was a lesbian at that time, she writes about how being despised by others, they they came together, they they shared all things in common together. So part of the despising of those communities was that they, they couldn't get the medicine that they needed to save their lives. And so what did they do? An individual couldn't do it. They shared all things in common so that those who were sick could get the medicine they needed that was set at astronomically high prices, one of the ways that those communities were despised at that time. What, what am I saying? What am I getting at? If you just want fellowship in one form or another, if, if you just want to be affirmed, if you just want to find a group of people who think and act like you, you, you can do that. And, and you can find communities that are helping one another in all kinds of ways for all kinds of things. And the church is called to do fellowship and to do it together with this distinctive that that we believe in Jesus Christ that we serve him that that our laws that you know the reason why um, we 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 hold to the standards that we do it, it it all comes from him we are called to be united together as Christ's people, fellowshipping in Him, fellowshipping with common belief in the God-Man, the Savior and Lord, this Jesus, our precious Savior. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, our Lord, May you indeed unite us together in you, in your